It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to The Untold Story, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum. It's great to have you back with us today. And I'm especially excited about today's podcast because I've got Lucas Tomlinson, my friend and fabulous reporter for Fox News, here with me in New York. This is great, Martha. It's great, great to join you. It's great to have you, you here. Um, you know, obviously you've been watching Lucas's coverage in Israel. Um, he is a longtime Fox News correspondent and he was recently in Tel Aviv. He's a 2021 grad. I'm sorry. I, I just almost made you much younger. That'd be 2001 great. graduate of Annapolis, uh, served in the U.S. Army's 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division in Afghanistan. Uh, obviously, he has spent a lot of time in the Middle East and is now there as a correspondent for us. So, Lucas, what I love about you is that you are so poised and detail-oriented, but you also bring your own background to your coverage, having served our country. So, I'm always... Very proud and excited to talk to you. So it's good to have you here today. Well, thank you so you've much, been Martha. All over, you've, you know, you, you're really the past year or so. Yeah, you've been covering all. So you know, just give us a sense of what the last year and a half has been like for you as a reporter at Fox, because you really you were at the Pentagon and now you're right. just all over the globe. Right. We, we things we were talking about at the Pentagon. Now I'm reporting and experiencing firsthand. Uh, I arrived in Ukraine on February third, mm-hmm. uh, 2022, weeks before the invasion. So the story back then was will Russia invade? We, of course, we know how that turned out, but it spent uh, over two months last year in Ukraine reporting on two separate trips, two separate occasions. And then uh, one week after this horrific massacre in Israel, uh, got the call, uh, we need you in Israel. And the next day I was on a plane to Tel Aviv and uh, reported from Israel for three weeks. And, you know, with a small little country the size of, of New Jersey, uh, although little Sparta, I would add, uh, the, the bravery and the tenacity of their forces uh, fighting back after that horrific massacre. It was just an incredible experience, uh, not just getting down uh, near the front lines in Gaza, but really just talking to Israelis all over the country and including American students. And I even had the chance, opportunity to interview some American firefighters, guys that just, you know, they, they saw the massacre and they said, I have to do something. And I heard about these gentlemen, after uh, interviewing some refugees, it was just an offhand remark. Oh, you know, there's some American firefighters here. I was like, I, was like, I got to talk to these people. So it, it was an incredible experience. Tell me about that, because those kinds of stories take all of us right back to 9-11. We remember right. firefighters coming, right. rushing to right here in New, York. New York to you know, support their, their brother firefighters right. here in New York after they had lost over 300 of their own on 9-11. So I would imagine that it, did it feel a little bit like post 9-11? That's what all the Israelis say. Not only do they compare the, the massacre to the Holocaust, which Israelis say they've never done in the 75 year history of their nation. Right. But uh, when it comes to 9-11, uh, Bibi Netanyahu has said this is like 20 9-11s just because Israel is only a, a size of, uh, it only has 9 million people. So when you look at uh, 1,200 massacred, killed, and of course the hostages, which I still, do you feel, Martha, sometimes we still don't talk enough about the hostages? Absolutely. Right. 
240 hostages, uh, you know, up to 10 Americans being held hostage, children up to 30 of the hostages are, are children. And also, I think, uh, unreported part of it, uh, 35 of the hostages are Thai farm workers from the I kibbutz. Know. Yeah, in fact, I was just reading a story this morning in the Wall Street Journal about, I think his name is Bippin Yoshi, a young man that they profiled whose family is trying to trace his last steps. They believe that he saved people who he was hiding in a shelter with. They were at the concert and that he threw one grenade out. Another grenade went off in the room. Um, There were injured and killed. He tried to get the people who were okay to move to another location and to try to, to save them. They think that he may be in custody but they don't know. He may be dead and his family, uh, they're Nepalese and they have not a lot of resources to get their word out. But you hear this heartbreaking story of their son who to them and to others in this situation, hero, heroic actions. And they feel like nobody is paying any attention. And I I couldn't agree more. I mean, every day in our meeting in the morning, I just keep emphasizing, you know, what about the hostages? What about their faces, their pictures? Show them, show them, show them. And sadly, pictures that are being torn down on the streets of New York. It's unbelievable. It's sick. It's sickening. So why do you think that is? Is it just, are there just so many dynamics that the hostages are, get get second tier attention? I I think it's hard to get the imagery out of you know, you're seeing all the footage from Gaza. You see the airstrikes. You see the Israeli forces. You know some journalists, our own brave, intrepid Trey Yanks, has gotten into Gaza a few times, but mostly yeah. we're seeing this from the lens of Israeli forces from drone video, the airstrikes, uh, cameras mounted on helmets from the Israeli forces, from their commando units, the Galani Brigade, Gavadi Brigade, in the Southern Command there that owns Gaza. Uh, we're just not. You don't see the hostages besides a few of the the hostage videos. I think because you don't see them certainly with television it's it's a harder topic to talk about because you just don't have the imagery but it is horrific including the, the hospital shiva hospital where they saw a, a table a chair where they believe hostages were the israeli forces finally got in there um it's also uncomfortable i think hostage death refugees these are all horrific things hostage i would say you take it another level uh I, personally i think just a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about hostage i think you're right and i think um where you know the u.s government is supporting israel in this mission to eliminate hamas that this is a very tiny area. So that means that we may be supporting an effort that may lead to the death of some of these hostages. And I think that's one of the reasons that I think early on, it felt like there was a number one priority, which was killing Hamas. Sure. And then a number two priority of getting who you can out of yeah. there. These are the difficult decisions oh. that are made. You're a deep student of history. Right. So what do you think about that well, dynamic? Have, Martha, you have 300 miles of tunnels underneath Gaza. This is an area that is twice the size of Washington, D.C., an area. And the idea that there's three, a labyrinth, a spider web of tunnels underneath you hear from Hamas that some of the Israeli hostages have been killed, but you haven't, you, you just, it, it's the big unknown. It's a mystery. It's, it's tough. It's a tough mission because the Israeli force has been very clear, and the population, by the way. I mean, I spoke to people from all walks of life, pretty united in, for obvious reasons, in wanting to destroy Hamas. Um, Ella Waldman, I spoke to, who is a tech mogul, whose daughter and boyfriend were killed in the music uh, festival massacre. Yeah. Um, you that know, was he, a very moving uh, interview that you did. He wants Gaza leveled. 
I mean, yes. these are, this is this is Old Testament. There is no Israel is not ready for forgiveness right now. This is a war. They want to see Hamas destroyed, eradicated, and that's why they've severed Gaza in two. That's why uh, they're not stopping until Hamas is completely crushed. A difficult. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, you know, speaking of history, just you know, the history of urban warfare. From World War II to the Hue in the Vietnam War to Fallujah to the nine-month battle of Mosul against ISIS, you know that was about you know five thousand ISIS fighters that were holed up there in Mosul for those nine months. Uh, now we're talking about you know up to thirty thousand Hamas fighters, uh, and, and just it keeps going so and going. Say that again. There were five thousand ISIS fighters ISIS holed up fighters in Mosul. In Mosul. Now, and granted, that- the Iraqi forces—I don't think anybody would compare the Iraqi forences mm-hmm. to the Israeli forces. Uh, 5,000 ISIS fighters in Mosul, the second largest city in Iraq, whereas today you have upwards of 30,000 Hamas fighters holed up in this dense, dense area. And there have been a few people who said, you know, what's taking so long? What's going on? The Israeli officials I spoke to, from the military to the government, even some of the people, you know, they have to go slow because mm-hmm. you're not just fighting on the land, you're fighting subterranean mm-hmm. you're having to go into these tunnels you can't go in so quickly that uh an assault force from hamas comes up behind you that's why it's this slow you know they're slowly strangling and cutting off the head of the snake and and some of the strategy of the tunnels as i understand it is to entrap israeli oh, soldiers big time so they want them to come down there oh. because they know the map yeah. better than anyone sure. and uh they know how to outflank them essentially totally. we've seen it with some of these mechanized uh, formations that have come in there's makava tanks you see a hamas fighter pop up from a tunnel run in place uh, almost like the old limpid sticky bombs from like world war ii style on the side of the tank run away they cannot go so quickly that these tunnels are still there you cannot have you can't be outflanked as you mentioned you can't have hamas guys popping up from behind you that's why this is slow it's methodical uh, but it's also why you're seeing so much destruction because hey if, if you know hamas is firing at you from a building, they're certainly going to take a look and, and try their best not to kill civilians. But if you're under attack, uh, it, it's not much of a decision for the Israeli forces. So what kind of, you know, uh, there's a, a lot of interesting reporting on the command center, the Israeli military command center, very sophisticated, um, able to sort of have a wall of TV screens where they're looking at a number of different areas. They can determine what you know, if they see um, a group of Hamas terrorists or militants that they, they want to take out, they can determine what's the best weaponry for this, what's sure. the most precise, how can we use it. So Hamas has the backing of Iran. Do they have technology down there that is anything like this? No, or are nothing. they just literally f- fighting blind? Uh, more or less fighting blind, but you know, the advantage is to Hamas, despite all the technology you mentioned. And yes, Israel, they're tracking phones. They can turn on the phones. They have 500 pound bombs and door knockers, they call them, where they can hit the top of the building mm-hmm. and it's not going to destroy the building. It's just going to scare the living, you know what, out mm-hmm. of people to run out of the building. That said, all the technology, Shin Bet, their domestic security agency, they, Israel can track all these Hamas fighters, go after the leadership. Hamas is burrowed inside these buildings. And despite all the technology, if you're an Israeli commando with Sayyid Metkal, it's like their Delta Force or Sayyid 13, their Navy SEALs, you still have to go door to door, mm-hmm. house to house. If, if you and I uh, ran into 1211, which we are now in this building and said, oh, we have to go 
building by building, room by room, looking for people. Mm-hmm. All the technology in the world is not going to prevent it. Hamas has the advantage. They're on the defensive. They're the ones hiding behind those doors in those buildings, and they need to be rooted out. And it's a, a form of warfare that, frankly, hasn't changed much in decades. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. You, you talk about the door knockers, like um, Israeli forces dropping sort of a light bomb, right. for lack of a better Correct. word, on top of a building, which basically is a warning right. to all Shakes of the, the residents, the citizens of that building, that they have time to, to get out. The next one will be, be a, a destructive. It will be a 2,000-pound yeah. satellite-guided bomb that will destroy the whole Yes, um, but it goes to the you know, inclin- the, what's the word, you know, the intention, to kill civilians. exactly. The intention of, of the IDF to kill as many, as few civilians as they possibly can. The untold story continues right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Backing up to the big picture question, What's going on here? I mean, Hamas says, you know, we don't worry about water and electricity. We also don't worry about martyrs. That's part of our part of our faith. And um, we're doing this not to rule Gaza. We're doing this to rule the region. And that means eliminating Israel, obviously. So where do you see this going? Because there are other players in the Middle East who don't want Iran to have that kind of power. Well, we just saw that uh, big Arab summit in, in Riyadh uh, last weekend, and there were some non-Arabs that showed up. It was the president of Turkey, also had the president of Iran showing up in Saudi Arabia for the first time in 11 years. Uh, now, that all said, it was notable that the Saudis, the Emiratis, would not sign on to this uh, communique about Israel committing war crimes. You know, They, they put the brakes on, on some of the harsh language, but... Uh, you know, Saudi has normalized relations with Iran. Uh, there's been a lot of focus on uh, Israel's growing ties with Saudi that prompted this war. I don't think there's many doubt from from the experts to say that is certainly what prompted this. But in terms of the end game, uh, it, it is just going to be a slog. There's just nothing clean about urban warfare. And Hamas, when you're hiding behind civilians, when you have a command center under a hospital, when you're shooting on your own people, the Palestinians, as they flee Gaza, when you're putting weapons and fighters and ambulances, that is tough to overcome. And certainly when it comes to public perception, uh, when it comes to social media, uh, most would, people would say people on TikTok are not getting the full picture. They're not getting the balance. They're not getting both sides. <laughs> They're not getting, I mean, <laughs> going out on a limb here. Here, Martha, uh, you know, when when, you know, when people are writing, you know, from the river to the sea uh, and then they're asked which river mm-hmm. and they, they no get a idea. blank look. No, idea. no idea. And apparently they don't listen to gospel music and, and they don't even know what the sea is. It's, uh, you know, that's one of the big tragedies, you know, being in Tel Aviv, it's 40 miles from Gaza and. You know, this is the same distance from New York to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You still have rockets. That's about how this ends. The fact that we are 35 plus days into this war, uh, weeks into this ground invasion, 
and Hamas can still, does that surprise you, Martha, can still launch these rockets? It surprised me. They still well, they have, have the an inventory. endless supply from Iran and it from North Korea. Like it I mean, you know, felt it, like it could cash go on wise. for a very long time. And you saw what they did with these rockets. And they, these are, uh, you know, they cut the water pipes to build some of these rockets. They yeah. took all the water pipes that were donated. Remember, the, you know, Israel's supposed to supply the water and the supplies into Gaza. That was part of the Camp David Accords mm-hmm. from the late 70s. And so they've, you know, taken, first of all, how they built all these tunnels you know where all the cement come from where all these product come from you know the financial backing came from iran for sure but in terms of supplies it, some of this does come from the west and the fact that they've turned all the cement all these products into uh you know weapons of war bases it, it's startling is there any hope for the hamas iran hezbollah cause or their desire to wipe israel off the map through war on from the north and hezbollah from the south, uh, you know, inside from Hamas and from the east coming from the Houthis. I mean, there's, uh, I've talked to a number of Israelis who say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually worried about that for the first time in my life. Sure. Well, I mean, fighting a two front war is never easy. And certainly Israel has their, their hands full with Hamas at the moment. We're still not seeing Hezbollah going in big. You know, you're seeing the anti-tank rounds, the, the rockets being launched from Lebanon, but you're not seeing a big push by Hezbollah. Nasrullah, the leader of Hezbollah, you heard his speech uh, a week or so ago. Uh, some some critics were saying that, the, you know, some of the language on college campuses was more insightful, you know, it was more devastating than what they heard from Nasrullah. He regrets the war. He's publicly said he regrets the war from 2006. Mm-hmm. He did not know that Israel was going to come so hard. And if you're Nasrullah, if you're Hezbollah, and you're looking what Israel is doing into Gaza, and in fact, we just heard the Israeli defense minister warn Lebanon, warn Beirut, you see what's going on in Gaza, this will be Beirut, this could be you. And And unlike Hamas, Hezbollah has tried to really be a government. Sure. And you know, allow, I think, a little bit more freedom mm-hmm. than the kind of situation that the people in Gaza live under, where they have, you know, basically it's it's like the mullahs in Iran. Right. They can't really do anything. Women wear hijab wherever they go. Um, so Nasrallah wants to hang on to his his power. He has, to, he has a little bit of a political interest oh, yeah. in making sure that the memories that people have from yeah. 2006 aren't revisited. Right. And survival. I mean, at the end of the day, these tyrants, they do want to survive. They're not all fatists, some are, mm. but he wants to survive. And, and Fascinating. It's, it's always great to talk to you, Lucas. I could <laughs> talk to you for hours. Um, but before we go, I do want to ask you about last night. Um, we're going to, this is going to come out on Friday. So it'll be a couple days ago, but you had a really special night last night and a ceremony honoring our own Benjamin Hall in the name of someone who's very special to you. Yes. So tell everybody about that. What a great honor. The Fund for American Studies uh, supports uh, young journalists. And one of the awards given is the Kenneth Y. Tomlinson Award. My late father, who uh, was editor-in-chief of the Reader's Digest, he was former director of The Voice of America under, under President Ronald Reagan. And I might be a little biased here when I say I think helped bring down the evil empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we forget in the, this day and age before the Internet, it was shortwave radios that people were huddled to behind the Iron Curtain, grasping for the truth, wanting to hear what is really going on about their leaders, about their you know population, about their culture. So to go last night, to come up here to New York, 
to have Benjamin Hall, our own mm-hmm. uh, greatest hero that we have at mm-hmm. Fox, and to present him with the Kenneth Y. Tomlinson Award, named after my father, to Ben Hall. It was very special, and it was great to see Ben also because you know he lives in London now. So it was just, it was a very special evening, and Ben as he does so well, as our viewers know, who, who watch him on Fox, he, he just had some incredible remarks about the importance of reporting, why you have to go to the front lines, why you have to push. Uh, it, w- it was very, very special. He talked about, you got to smell it, you got to see it, you got to be there firsthand. And of course, resilience. You can't talk about Ben Hall without thinking of that word, because let, let's face it, Martha, how many people do we know get blown up and bounce back and to handle it the way he did to get smuggled on to that train from the Polish prime minister. I mean, Hollywood couldn't make this up. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Jennifer Griffin, save our allies and this cohort of special operators who had the year prior pulled all these interpreters and all these Americans out of Afghanistan to have a team to be able to go into Ukraine under 24 hour shoot to kill orders, a uh, curfew and to get smuggle him out on an ambulance. And to, and the whole time Ben is doing it with a smile. Uh, Jennifer said that he was saying, please, and thank you to everybody and to be stopped at these checkpoints they unwrapped his bandages they didn't believe he was in the condition he was because of the yeah. smile on his face and to have to go through that without pain medication um and just to bounce back i mean he would be forgiven right if he was just going to mm-hmm. repair retire back to london never to be heard from again the fact that he's out reporting his his piece from the invictus games in germany yeah. here he is a, a wounded journalist interviewing wounded heroes, wounded soldiers, Marines on the battlefield, from the battlefield, taking part in Olympic-style games in Europe. It it was just incredible to see him. It meant so much. I think... um he is just so extraordinary. And listening to you remind everyone of those stories, I would just recommend that everybody, if you haven't read Ben's book, Saved, it is an incredible story and an inspirational story. And he was not done living. Right. And he has proven that right. day after day. And he also is um, an English gentleman oh, through and completely. through. And that's why when he has like <laughs> limbs that are, you know, hanging on by a thread he's still saying please and thank you to the people who are helping him but you know what those people who helped him and they were extraordinary from jennifer griffin to save our allies to um executives at this company and people in the state department who are involved in getting him home uh he has rewarded them a thousandfold and if i could say one more thing more than the fact that in the book which is incredible, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, his own father was rescued by the U.S. military. Yes. In the Battle of Manila in World War II, 6,000 American GIs killed and wounded uh, fighting the Japanese. His father's own father, mother, grandmother, and uncle were taken captive. As a 12-year-old, he had to take care of and support his three younger siblings for about four years and when he saw the americans he ran toward them snipers firing rounds cracking all around he runs and the 37th division the buckeye division rescued him he was so grateful and here's ben now you know 70 years later 
getting rescued from the U.S. military. And you're so right to mention not just our executives here at Fox, but the U.S. military. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, the U.S. forces cannot go into Ukraine because of restraints. But the fact that, you know, from John Kirby to the White House, there was a, a Black Hawk waiting that if they could get to the yeah. border, the U.S. military is going to save Ben, take him to Landstuhl, where hundreds, thousands of our brave soldiers, Marines, over the years have been taken from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. The fact that the U.S. military open that up to Ben. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be alive today without him. It's a, it's absolutely extraordinary story. And thanks for recounting it and um, for telling us about the award last night in honor of your dad, who had an extraordinary career and has a pretty terrific son. So Lucas, oh. it's always great to, to see you. Thanks for coming to New York. and. Mm-hmm. Martha, great to be here. Thank we'll you so much. the conversation. Thank Always. you. That's the Untold Story for today. I'm Martha McCallum. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.